Hello, Secret Keepers. We may present ourselves on the show as manly men who love crunchy mechanics and crunchier cereals, but don't be fooled. We also care about the arts and aesthetics. That is why today we are talking to a true artist of the makeup variety, Anna Feudgate Downs. She will be telling us all about laying down a solid foundation for your career, concealing your weaknesses in job interviews, blending in with your coworkers, and we might just make her blush along the way. That and so much more on the Megamoth Studios Super Secret Podcast. Shh. You can tell people about this one. Welcome back to the show, Secret Keepers. I'm your host, a guy liner habit away from a life of polyamory, Joel Watts, joined as always by... Danny, surprised that I'm still doing this podcast. <laughs> and today, we are also joined by Anna Fugate Downs. What is up, Anna? Oh my gosh, I'm so pleased to be here. I mean, I'm so pleased to be here with y'all in particular. Uh, I mean, you're the first people I ever did a short film with ever. So really, you were my foray into makeup for film and i'm so appreciative of that oh i'm i i now i'm appreciating that i did not i did not know but we'll get into that here just in a second uh, talking about our old school film days and like you know makeup for movies and for life but today uh yeah because today we're going to talk to you about your experiences working as a professional makeup artist and you know how you can express your artistic side you know be it boy girl or anything in between with a little bit of makeup uh, but first, let's balance this out with a little bit of guy talk. How about that? Love that. Anna, how do you, and there is a right answer on this one, so I'm just going to lean in a little bit. How do you prepare your steaks? Oh my gosh. Well, I myself personally have never cooked a steak. I did not really eat a steak until I was like 22 years old and my husband <laughs> prepared for it for me. Um, and he's what? a professional chef, or he has been a professional oh. chef in the past. So um, my Get favorite... him out here. He needs to tell us his steak pre preparations. Oh my gosh, my cat. Okay, this is the cat that's yowling so much. This is oh. Bunny. She's just oh, Bunny! so upset that oh, she's not getting all the attention. She, she brought yeah. her little string in here for me to play with her. Um, and she will probably yeah. continue to yowl, but... Um, mm -hmm. So my favorite kind of steak nowadays is going to be a fairly small cut of beef. Like I really love a filet or I'll like I'll take a sirloin mm -hmm. or anything, but I only want like a, like a small amount. Um, yeah. And I want it to be like medium, like just towards medium well. And I really want there to be either like a compound butter or like a like with like chimichurri. Or something Ooh, I like love I love. I love oh. chimichurri. When I discovered I'm chimichurri, obsessed. it was like everything was over. Um, so yeah, I love a compound butter, like a chimichurri compound butter on like a Ooh. small piece of like a just a oh, really wow. flavorful fillet. That's like what I'm all about. Yeah, Dang. that does sound. I mean, that sounds delicious. I mean, my my mouth is watering. We're doing an early recording in today, and I haven't mm -hmm. had breakfast yet. So this was a mistake to be. <laughs> to be uh, talking about steaks so early. Well, um, I'll say wrong answer. Uh, Danny, do you want to take you? a chance? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go with through the heart of a vampire because I'm reading the show notes and that's definitely how you spelled steak in the show notes. So. Stop it. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do the technically correct answer and answer the question you have here in the show notes. So, through the heart of a vampire. 
followed by, you know, keeping a, a tent secured to the ground. Okay. But, you know, e e one is way more practical than the other. And, you know, uh, if you have to drive it through the heart of a vampire, um, you know, hopefully you just get some, you know, some of that vampire meat afterwards, you know, you know cook that what up. What kind of meat is but, that? I don't know. The, it's probably, it, it's soft, I would say, supple. You know why cold? Probably cold. Yeah, yeah. No cold. I would say it's a cold, cold. red center. You as know, they it, say. It, it, definitely it, rare. Cold you know how center. they uh, will intentionally age beef like in very like meticulous ways at fancy restaurants. I'm imagining it's kind of like that. It's like you know, like a well preserved, like still edible but aged meat. Uh huh. What does it taste like? Vampire meats. Well, I mean. Kind of, you know, just like what human tastes, but aged, which I but, don't know yet. Depending on how they died, maybe garlic. Oh, yeah, yeah there you go. Maybe very garlicky, yeah. powdery, dusty, old steak. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. Steak, yes, yes, yes. Um, well, the correct answer in the words of Hank Hill, you know, it's like we prepare our steaks medium, uh, was it medium rare? That is the way that I like my steak prepared, medium rare. And if somebody asks for it well done, well, we ask them firmly but politely to leave. Yeah. <laughs> Depending but, on what you said, I was going to maybe change my answer to I take my steaks high. I like high <laughs> steaks or no steaks at all. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, the steaks are very high right now with the, uh, with the podcast uh, being – with the misspelling of the podcast leading to us discussing vampire uh, – kill strategies oh yeah. yeah you can really tell that this is a consequent consequential conversation like this is going to affect some things there are going to be some policy changes after this oh yeah. yeah oh yeah definitely probably a spell check danny might want to <laughs> go over my uh my show notes and do a quick a quick uh check for spelling what well, was that week. butter you mentioned though oh yeah oh, go ahead. it's a, a compound butter uh is like yeah. any kind of butter where you've um kind of like softened it and then mixed in other things and then like re-hardened it so that the butter mm -hmm. has the ability to kind of like take on the flavors of it. So like a chimichurri mm -hmm. compound butter, chimichurri has like a bunch of green, like it's like, I don't think there's cilantro in it, but there's it's parsley. like, um, yeah, it's parsley, garlic, uh, I think some basil in there, so maybe some pine nuts. Like the, it's a very um, herby, herbaceous um, kind of mix that you put into a softened butter with like pepper and salt and everything. And then you re-harden the butter so that when the steaks come off the grill, you take a big scoop of like almost frozen butter and like pop uh -huh. it on there and let it like melt down through it. It's oh, amazing. Wow. It, it, it seems as though it's like, you know, just putting all the, the, the seasoning all in one spot. And then all you have to do mm -hmm. is just scoop and put it on top. And, and it's in butter. Like who, I mean, like yeah. why did lobster get the corner market on butter, like dipping it, stuff it, like meat in butter. Like why did mm -hmm. we only ever think of like lobster and crab being the options? Like you can dip any oh. meat in butter. It doesn't matter. That is yeah. accurate. Nothing matters. I did see a guy <laughs> who like basically <laughs> broiled his steak in butter. And I thought like, it's like he, he took it to the extreme. Like, yes, I do agree. Putting some butter on top of steak or maybe dipping your steak in butter, delicious. But I mean, I think he took it a little to the extreme of cooking. Like he basically melted like four sticks of butter into a skillet and then put the steaks in the skillet, like drowning in butter. Was I think that, that Guga was Foods? Maybe... Hmm? Was that Guga Foods? Have you ever seen I don't Guga? Know. Oh, he's always no. doing crazy stuff. He'll be like, oh, today we're cooking steaks and shoes. 
Like he'll Ew. put like a stick in a shoe and no. throw it on the grill or I I think this was just a clueless a- dad. <laughs> okay. Honestly. It sounds like he went to the Paula Dean school of culinary arts like he was just like when in doubt put more butter you know oh my god oh yeah yeah well he also cooked asparagus at the same wow. time and what he did was he took his stalk of asparagus and wrapped it around a stick of butter and then foiled that and put it on the grill so yeah i don't think he he's Honestly, not too concerned here's no he's here for a he's here for a good time not a long time yeah we need yeah. one stick of butter per asparagus stalk that's the uh, ratio we're going for on this yeah. recipe yeah <laughs> It, yeah. It's still a vegetable. I mean, come on. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just a happier vegetable now. <laughs> yeah. We we buttered it up. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Okay, Anna. Well, uh, th- you know, that was a pretty good culinary corner from from uh, mm-hmm. from you two. I'm, I'm the least likely to cook, I think, here on the podcast. So I don't have too much to contribute to that. I like my, st- you know how I like my steaks prepared? By somebody else. I was so going to say that's... for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ever dreamed of embarking on legendary quest, unlocking hidden secrets, and discovering untold riches? Dive into the world of X Seekers of Fortune. It's the game that's soon to be taking the internet by storm. Sign up today at xseekersoffortune.com and start your journey to greatness. Remember, fortune favors the bold. See you there. So we should probably get into the heart of the conversation, and uh, and that is, you know, we just wanted to talk to somebody about uh, makeup. We're I'm a very vain man. I want to look my best. Like I said, I just Can't recently confirm. started using a face cream, and that's you know really upped my game in terms of how my skin looks. But you know, we thought we could take it to the next level. Maybe some foundation, some eyeliner, things like that. So why don't we Absolutely. walk through, you know, your your life and career as a makeup artist, and then get down to the nitty gritty of what us boys can do to look all the prettier for you for the ladies or I the men that they want that. to court. I so. love that so much. I also, I mean. Makeup is something absolutely that you can put on for other people. Um, it's really something that you put on for yourself. Uh, just like, mm-hmm. you know, when you're walking into, uh, you know, a big meeting or something, if you are going to dress really well and do your hair and it kind of feels like you're putting on your armor. Uh, same thing with makeup, you know, having the ability to choose. Like if I have a pimple or under eye darkness or something, I can choose to put skin colored paint on top of those things to mm-hmm. make me feel more comfortable, more assertive. Um, and it isn't necessarily something that we do you know, for others. It's something that you do for yourself so that you are allowed to take control over how you look and how you present yourself to the world. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of the time, the point is for people not to know or if they do know that you're wearing makeup, it's more of a stylistic choice it's something it's the same thing as like looking at somebody with a really cool pair of boots you know you go oh my gosh that's such a cool choice you made uh, mm-hmm. in how you decided to present yourself to the world so yeah. and i or, do or I a belt buckle believe, or hat or a belt buckle or a hat or any kind of yeah. you know like the 15 pieces of flair to pull in an office space reference <laughs> um you know it's part of your 15 pieces of flair to be able to say this is what i choose to spend my time on in terms of uh, time being sort of a limited resource and our 
like, I mean, to bring it into like D&D world, like our charisma role, right? Like how giving ourselves the ability to modify our charisma, whether that is in how people perceive us or how the confidence that we feel and are able to kind of project to other people, I find to be an incredibly powerful um, and it's something that it exists everywhere. It's makeup is not a um, a capsule. Uh, it's not a capsulated area of life. Every single man, athlete, president, uh, you know, musician, every single man that you have ever seen on television has a full face of makeup on. A full <laughs> face of makeup on. So the idea that in real life that that would be limited and translated only to half of the population is so crazy to me um, it, because it's just something that exists in the world everywhere. Um, you know, like there's a there, I saw an ad or a meme the other day that talked about like men being so insecure that a concealer had to be la- like a man's concealer had to be labeled as war paint. What? Because it was like, <laughs> yeah, it, like like people weren't okay with the idea of putting on concealer, but applying war paint made mm-hmm. it more accessible. And it implies that, violence, right? Like that's what makes yeah, it, it implies to violence. Men. It implies dominance. I think <laughs> it, 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 but it's the same idea. Like for me, it sort of is war paint. Like like putting on makeup wakes me up more than coffee ever could. Right? Like it focuses mm. me in. Um, especially like as a former theater kid or as like a kind of continual lifelong theater kid. Mm-hmm. It's about oh, we see what role, right? <laughs> what role am I playing today? Right. Which character mm-hmm. am I today? Mm-hmm. And so I get to choose that. It's like going into a character customizer in a video game. I get to choose Ooh. how intensely I want, what kind of work I want to put into my character for that day. And what I want other people to perceive about me based on how I have painted my face that day. Um, so I think it is very powerful. I think also everybody in the world should have the experience of walking into a room and knowing that they look good. You know, mm-hmm. like I like my husband does drag um, and I've been helping him a lot with doing makeup. And he's like the feeling of walking into a room and have because when he's in drag, he's got his heels on and he's seven feet tall and he's got this huge wig and it's usually blonde. So when people are perceiving him for the first time in a room, it's he what he sees is this. Like, like people just kind of going up and up and up and they all look so happy. Like every everybody seeing him is is shocked and pleased. And he is like, this is the best feeling in the world is to walk in and know that your presence is elevating the experience for other people. And that like when they talk about that night, you're probably one of the the things that they're going to talk about. And I'm like, everybody in the world should have that. Everybody in the world should be able to experience it. And it's so unfortunate to me that it's so often limited to women and female presenting people that it's only acceptable to kind it's kind of like being a peacock, right? Like being able to put on your feathers and your plumage and walk out and have people not go like, oh, my God, what are you doing? Should not be limited to only half of the population and should not be limited based on gender roles. So I I am very passionate about makeup and like availability of makeup for everybody Um, and just bringing awareness to the fact that it is everywhere. It is not a new thing for men to be wearing makeup. Men have worn makeup 
forever, like literally forever, men have worn makeup. And it's only been recently that the idea of vanity is limited to women for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'll you talk think about that anytime. You, you would think that the companies would be actually like, you know, like trying to put that in marketing. I don't know what it is, but, you know, you would think you, they would be like, no, guys can wear makeup, too. It's like half the population can they can open up the floodgates to uh, like sales. And I mean, like you like you said, every man who, you know, we are very much a camera centric you know, uh, culture now, like, you know, we mm. talk to each other through cameras, through screens. Every man has probably a pretty good excuse to like, you know, you know, like brighten up their face. Like, you know, like I always say, like here doing this podcast, I have four different lights on to make my house or my like lighting setup look normal, you know, to mm-hmm. look like what people would think of as just a normal lighting setup. And the same can be true for makeup or for, you know, treating yourself. And uh, I might, I, you know, hopefully, based on where we go with this conversation, maybe I can incorporate some of that like in my, my pre-podcast uh, ritual. But I will say, to give uh, the folks at home an idea, like we're, we're going to talk about this later, but to give you a little spoiler for what's coming up, we are going to do a little makeup tutorial on today's episode. So hopefully, if you're a, a bro out there, you can get uh, the guy liner on, you know, you'll feel confident doing it. But I went to uh, H-E-B, shout out H-E-B on Riverside. I love me some H-E-B. Uh, that's, uh, you know, uh, that's my go-to. It's a nice big one. So they actually have a makeup department. And I had been with my ex-girlfriend down that makeup aisle before, but like just very much shadowing her and just, you know, waiting while she picked out, like looked through everything. I did not take in anything. And you were a makeup aisle lurker. Yes, exactly. Well, yeah. I know I was, I was just like sitting there be like, Joe, I'm with her. I'm with her. You know, <laughs> please don't arrest me. Uh, don't shoot me out. But Today I went in with the intention of actually getting things, getting things that you uh, sent me on a list. And I want to say it was like three, three things here and they were all fairly simple. And I was on that aisle drowning. I had no idea what I was doing, like just flailing. I I felt like this, uh, an emotion I haven't felt for a long time, which is I have no idea what I'm looking for. Mommy, please help me. And I I totally feel that because I felt it exactly the same hooking up OBS and everything. I was like, there are far too many cables and far too many screens Mm -hmm. and far too many buttons. um, And I am very alarmed at the moment. But you did it. You did it. Yeah, exactly. With the help of unlike the steak question, there's no wrong answer. Joel. <laughs> yeah. No wrong answer, Joel. No wrong answer. No, there's only one right answer in the state question. That's the difference. Uh, anyways, but Maricela, a HEB employee, she wandered by and I was I've, and I was like, please help me. And she walked me through, you know, finding the three things that you asked me to get. And I was very grateful for that. But yeah, no, it's, it's like kind of like you have to go and find those new frontiers for your life. And for guys, you know, this could be a great time to just like expand your mind you know, get you thinking differently, get your, help your mind work because, you know, heaven forbid the dementia settles in the Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. you know, but it's, it's coming for all of us and you got to fight it off with new experiences and why not make, make up that new experience. What did Marisol um, say to you? Uh, well, I stopped her. Did, she was wearing HP clothes. I explained enough. I was like, I'm doing a show and they asked me to pick up some, some of these things. I don't know what I'm looking for. And she said she knew enough to help mm-hmm. me. 
I don't think she was she wasn't like a makeup expert but she you know she, she was uh, she was a lady and I think she had experience she had seen these things before and so she just sort of like you know looked and found the things the basic things that were on the shelf uh so yeah no, she, nothing she had too, like a plus one proficiency bonus and you exactly. had like a negative three probably mm, yeah, yeah you know walking in there and with, with <laughs> combine that with my negative intelligence stat oof it was a bad oof. <laughs> <laughs> so well, we're talking uh, gaming right now, or we're kind of referring to D&D, so we might as well ask. This is primarily a gaming show, so to get our audience familiar with you and endear you to our audience, I always like to start out with your gaming origin story. So, Anna, do you come from a gaming family? Uh, not particularly, other than the fact mm -hmm. that my brother um, was, I mean, is just one of the best DMs I've mm -hmm. ever, be, ever, ever. He is so good. He's been playing mm -hmm. for so long, and I was always, I loved being involved in, like, writing out the character sheets, because I had, like, the best handwriting. Mm -hmm. oh, so yeah. I was very I into too. observing D&D. Um, I also specifically wanted to bring on um, for y'all, for your viewing pleasure, Matt's binder of magic uh, cards. I have oh, my now brother's. Now your husband, is that right? Or no, that's no, your brother? No, this is my brother. This is okay. so old. I have no idea why I have this. Um, mm -hmm. other, I, other than I steal everything my, from my brother and will continue to do so for the rest of my life. <laughs> what is in there? Uh, yeah. Um, oh. It's old. Oh, it's old, y'all. What, what if she flashes so us like a something powerful like, yeah, I, I know i want to see what's in there she I know. is a classic um but it's... and then so i've got that i've got a whole binder full of what he considered his most you know precious cards and then i've got a whole uh stack of, oh, of other goodness. super classics oh, yeah. um oh that's but the nostalgia I, hitting me I really, right there well i really wanted to talk about this knowing that um you know magic the gathering is such like a fundamental part of y'all's origin story and ex seekers of mm -hmm. fortune um that when i thought about it when i really thought about it Magic the Gathering and the art on Magic the Gathering, mm -hmm. which I know is a very, like, beloved part of it, um, mm -hmm. was sort of one of my first introductions to character design, which oh. um, when it comes down to it, I consider myself to be more of a character designer. And when it's a um, if you're coming down to like a like a role on set, I've started to mm -hmm. sort of almost sort of like create my own title which is hair, makeup, and effects designer. I don't, I'm not just a makeup artist. I'm not yeah. just a hairstylist. I'm not just an effects artist. I love to do all of it. And I love to be involved in every step of the process from concepting and like reading a script, doing a breakdown, figuring mm -hmm. out the elements that have to be there based on what we yeah. see in the script. And then kind of extrapolating from there all of the different details of like, well, where is this character from and who and where are they going and what about the makeup can we utilize in order to aid in the storytelling, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so for me, um, Magic the Gathering was one of the first ones where I was really, I was seeing constant new design influences based mm -hmm. solely on what was the picture on the card you know because mm. like when you're like you know when you're in middle school and you're reading lord of the rings you have the imagery in your head but at that point the movies don't exist like the only thing that exists mm -hmm. is the cartoons so getting an idea like there's this one right here this gaze of pain okay. mm -hmm. i very specifically remember this card this girl oh, oh gosh wow. i'm like my freaking phone yeah. i'm so sorry my phone is it's like all right no uh, it was looking good there feel free okay, i mean so if you could slide the card out of the binder and maybe just hold up the card by itself that might work sure. best 
if so it's not like is... like sticky with age. So this. Yeah. Here's Gaze of Pain. Ooh, yeah, that's a great design. It's so beautiful, and there's so mm-hmm. much about this. Like, if I saw this character in a movie, the idea of like what did this to her, right? Like, that where be- like are these slits punitive? Are they mm-hmm. something that was done as punishment? Are they something that she did to herself to invoke the idea of power? Are they uh-huh. scratch marks from her own fingernails? Were they sliced uh-huh. with a razor of some kind in like a ceremonial or ritualistic way? Um, you yeah. know, why didn't it blind her? You know, like why does she mm-hmm. still have regular pupils? Why aren't her eyes damaged? Like th- those are all things that really kind of uh, get my gears going in terms of when I start to think about a character design. Um, so I really, I, I was, uh, when I started thinking about it, when people talk about like origin stories and like, what inspired you to become who you are today. Um, Things like magic are one of the huge elements that I think unless you were really putting thought into like, well, why am I the way that I am? I never would have associated the fact that this was one of my first forays into really digging into the origin of a character based solely on what I could see. Um, But, you know, before, like, like in a movie, before a character ever opens their mouth, my job is to tell you who they are based solely on hair and makeup and how they present mm. themselves. So it's my job is what can we tell about this person before they have ever interacted with another person? Um, and I and magic is a great example of Yo, that. Like art is sure. a great example. Well, like especially in the pre-internet age, Magic the Gathering was an amazing way for you to get a whole bunch of artwork in your life for relatively cheap i mean you know we can argue about it but that doll like that 10 cent bin of commons you know the artwork on the commons can be just as good as the artwork on the rares and just as interesting uh i had one thought about that character that you showed off and I, that was the character design would have been great if heath let if heath ledger's joker had a harley quinn i would want her That's to so have funny. those slits on her That's you know amazing <laughs> I yeah, was thinking to match that his it scars. Was giving Harley Quinn before she had her coffee kind of vibes, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or or Harley Quinn in the depth when she's stopped caring about the beauty makeup aspect of oh, it when she's gotten yeah. so unhinged that yeah. she's like, I'm just gonna make these permanent. Yeah, it's like though you want to know how I got these scars? Like I got mm. them in Arkham or whatever after I'd yeah. lost all hope and I didn't have eyeliner and this is the next best yeah. option. You know? Yeah. It's almost like uh, the next level of late of people tattooing freckles on themselves or totally marks. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like, you know, that tell, it would tell you a lot about the character if you saw somebody who had scarred themselves to have that kind of shape or scarred and tattooed possibly. So, well, yeah, and, and that's a valid form of self-decoration, like scarification mm-hmm. and using scars and, and mm-hmm. specifically place scars is something that multiple cultures have used for, mm-hmm. you know, years and years and years and years. We don't necessarily get exposed to it as often uh, when you're thinking in a very like Eurocentric kind of uh, realm of design. But that is a mm-hmm. very, very valid form of beautification, you know, that to some cultures might seem uh, really extreme, but I mean, nowadays women get eyeliner tattooed on their eyelids. You know, like they literally have mm. like a, a needle going next to their eyelids mm. in the name of beauty, and that's no less um, horrifying. You know, like when you really yeah. think about it, that's no less horrifying mm-hmm. than intentionally scarring yourself. What is what is sure. it? They say beauty is pain. Beauty is pain. Yeah, and it yeah. doesn't have to be. Beauty is effort. 
let's just say that beauty, beauty is beauty effort. Is you effort. have to mm-hmm. put effort into it. And sometimes that effort is internal, right? It's you going like, I can find the beauty in myself. Um, and it's more of like a spiritual kind of aspect, mm-hmm. but physical visual beauty is an effort. Yeah. I mean, we could go, I could go so many different ways with uh, like everything you just said there. Um, but I guess I want to center around the, I, like, let's get back to the origin story aspect because your origin story, like perfectly branched off into like the other side. I was going to say, we're going to have the gaming origin story and the makeup origin story, but it seems as though gaming inspired the makeup or like your interaction with like gaming culture, Magic the Gathering. Um, so like, you know, so when, when when did you first start utilizing makeup uh like on, like independently i'm sure like you probably had some makeup experiences that were like you know um you know very much like done to you by like uh elders but when did you start taking agency in your makeup and what did you first start doing with makeup like how did you first experiment that is a great question um i very first started uh really because of theater uh when you're a theater kid mm-hmm. and you're in you know middle school or whatever you are sort of expected, um, like, you know, for dance recitals or whatever, to mm-hmm. have, a, you know, a black eyeliner and a red lipstick. And those are things that you as, you know, your family, your independent family are uh, very much expected to provide and also know how mm-hmm. to use. Uh, also, it's a very communal learning, especially when you're in middle school, high school, and you're getting ready with people like backstage at a show or for like a drill team performance or whatever. It's very communal. So you're learning from what you're seeing other people do. Um, And it's kind of like girls getting ready for the prom. Like, oh, my gosh, like, let me you try my lipstick. And oh, my gosh, you should put rhinestones in your hair or whatever. You learn the possibilities based on other people's experiences. Um, And I really like, you know, so theater really got me into it. Then kind of the big shifting point was my mom took voice lessons from this woman um, that sold Mary Kay, Mary Kay makeup. Mm. And for, you know, a birthday or something like that, mom was just like, here you go. Like, go, go. It was almost like she was paying her friend to babysit us for the day, practically. Um, okay. But part of it was like, you are going to get this like set of makeup. So I had this really beautiful palette. I got to choose all these colors. Um, it was this really cool, like the kit. Um, so like a regular compact, you know, that you see like women do with their with the, you know, powder puff or whatever. Um, it was like a compact, but it was the size of a laptop computer. And oh, wow. when you opened it, it could fit like 10 different eyeshadows, two different blushes, two different lipsticks, three different eyeliners. Um, and it had a big mirror in it. And I remember just getting my hands on like that piece of kit and going like, mm-hmm. this is cool. Like the fact that they yeah. make... Uh, like a like a custom made caboodle just for carrying makeup is so cool to me um and i very quickly became like the the girl that just had the most makeup um so when it came time for high school and friends going to prom and whatever else um i was sort of the one that just had like the most available colors uh and i've always loved doing it i've always loved doing hair always loved doing makeup i think that was a big part of why i was a theater kid um was just the ability to take on these characters and then realizing that I could just do that in my everyday life, like I can choose what character I'm going to be and put that makeup on my face, uh, made it where it was more accessible in terms of just like a daily uh, practice, you know, like a daily self 
self-care practice. Um, and uh, yeah, so after that was all kind of high school, middle school, high school era, um, got into college and I was focusing in acting at UT. And uh, at UT, we had to do these things in the theater department called production labs, where you were uh, basically in like props shop, prop shop, scene shop, costume shop. Um, and I had gotten really close through my acting roles to the wig making teacher, mm -hmm. to the wig making professor. Mm -hmm. And so when it came time for my production labs, I was basically like, can I just be with you? Like, I already love doing hair. And like, she'd made a couple of custom wigs for me for different roles I'd had. Um, and I just found the whole process super fascinating. And uh, really, once I went out, like, I, I had never gone to an audition in college where I didn't get cast is something. Mm -hmm. And the first time I went out to audition for a television pilot and I didn't even get a callback, it crushed me to the mm -hmm. point where I was like, I am not cut out for a rejection-laden industry. <laughs> yeah. And I don't like not being able to have a picture of what I can do. Like um, when you mm. have an acting resume, it's like, well, look at all these roles I did. I promised I'm really good versus being able to do hair, being able to do makeup and go, I did this. Like this picture is an exact representation of my skill and my level. Um, and being able to accumulate that over time was so appealing to me. Um, and so I switched. I switched to doing technical theater. I actually got my degree in wig making and makeup design from UT um, and then went to a special effects or a film makeup school in uh, Vancouver called the Vancouver Film School in the makeup design program there. Mm -hmm. um, and while I was there, I got to work on I got my first taste of working in film. I got to work on Supernatural um, and a show called wow. V um, where uh, it was a very short lived show called uh, starring Lorena, uh, Marina Baccarin from Firefly. Um, and so I got to work on a couple of those things and with the same special effects company that did X-Files. So oh, it was like, oh, it was wow. just this huge introduction into like, this is what I'm interested in doing. And look at these 40 people who are employed full time doing just this for one small aspect of this entire mm -hmm. show that's being put together. Yeah. Um, so really, my origin story is that I just liked being in the building. You know, I, I loved being in theater. I loved being in the building. I loved contributing my skills towards the overall storytelling arc. Um, and I've just kind of kept going on that. Um, I love empowering people through makeup and just kind of like adding to my skill tree sort of in makeup. Yeah. So I'm always wanting to like learn another thing or like get a new material. Um, and I feel like that's driven a lot of like the sort of spider webbing branch of my career. How, that's how very, do you, mm -hmm. oh, go ahead, Danny. Yeah. So one question I had for you was, you know, when you're working on a film and you're working with actors and you're working with directors, how is that collaboration different? So how are you collaborating with the storytellers and telling the stories and then collaborating with the actors who are going to be portraying this character and bringing them to life? You know, how do those conversations work between the three parties? Are you all having them together? Are you having different conversations with the storytellers than you are with the people portraying the story? How, how, how does that all play out? It does start with some kind of script or what they call a treatment where there are sort of basic parameters that need to be hit for the story or the piece of media to be told. 
So I will go through that script, treatment, whatever, kind of take notes and mark what it is that seems like it's going to be uh, kind of relevant to my department, which is hair, makeup, and effects. And then I will have the initial conversation with a producer or a director about, um, you know, here are the things that you need to keep in mind, even getting down to as finicky of a detail as um, – here's how long this is going to take, right? Like, if you want it to look this way, here's how long that's going to take on the day. Here's how long it's going to take to get them out of it if we need them to be in multiple states throughout the day. So those are all, like, kind of the planning, nitty-gritty, nuts and bolts kind of stuff. Um, And then I'll have a conversation. Like, I'll drop some designs, get approval from the – or, you know, I'll put together mood boards or collages or something like that. Get approval and make sure that, like, the directors, designers, everybody that's collaborating on the visuals, that we all have sort of, like, a shared visual vocabulary of, like, what does this mean? When we read this in the script, what does that mean visually? And then I will approach the portrayer, the actor, the performer, um, and really specifically talk to them about – allergies like things that they are sensitive to things that they aren't capable you know like uh like with eyeliner say like which we're going to be playing with in a little bit um if you aren't used to having something near your eyes like a little hard stick near your eyes it can be really alarming you know having just pressure placed in an area where you're not used to pressure being um can really affect people so if we have a very strong idea about what we want this to look like and somebody goes I have the most sensitive eyes in the world. They water terribly. I'm going to go, okay, maybe we're not going to do like a super smoky eye, (laughs) right? Because it's going to be hell to maintain throughout the day. It's going to make you uncomfortable. So then we have to go back to the drawing board and go, okay, what else can we do to effectively communicate visually what we need to about this character, but also work within the parameters and the limitations of like what the what the performer is capable of, how much time we have, how much money we have, how many times we need to repeat it, right? Like, is this like a one-time thing where we can spend three or four hours doing it because we don't have to repeat it every day? Or is this something that this needs to be like part of the lickety split checklist bullet point version where the, I need them in and out of the chair in 10 minutes? Um, yeah. So there's a lot of... Um, logistics that go into it besides even the design elements um so it is very collaborative it's collaborative and it's never set in stone until it is recorded and like (laughs) it is never set in stone we are always adapting always always that's that's the key that's such a key to art there's so much there's so much yeah great things I heard in there and so many things like I said every every time you t- you speak I have like 15 questions or follow-up <laughs> comments but I I do I think I think my like my top level comments are you know this is a great learning moment for anybody who's interested in getting into the arts uh you know everybody thinks that they want to go in and be a lot of people I mean Danny and I are guilty of this too want to go in and become like writers and directors and they want to try to take those slots which are very coveted but if you actually want to work in the film business, the theater business, and you want it to be a job, you want to get one of those technical gigs because those people actually work. They work consistently. They get paid, unlike writers and directors who, you know, yeah, when they get paid, they get paid a lot. But there's a long time, in, you know, building up to the point of getting paid. And I'm sure, like, if that is really your passion and your what you're heading towards, getting in your foot into seeing how a set runs is only going to help you rise to the rank of or rise up and be ready to be a director or a writer when it comes time. Um, and the other thing that I just love is just the idea of like, there's not one right answer 
for a question. You know, there's multiple options and, it, you know, setting, you know, being dedicated or confident in the option you take is really strong, but, you know, you have no idea. Um, if somebody is allergic to, I don't know, to like you have a scene where somebody needs to vomit and they're allergic to oatmeal and that was what you prepared mm -hmm. to be the vomit on set, you're going, you know, you have to be adjustable. You have to, you know, roll with the punches. You have to check these things. These are things you wouldn't think to check beforehand. So I just love that, you know, how, you know, adaptable and malleable your, your creativity is. I think so many people are like, no, it has to be this way. And it's like, if you're really creative, no, it can be five different ways. You choose one at the end of the day but you know if that one doesn't work out you have something in your back pocket to change to absolutely I, also, I really liked also the advice that you gave about i mean i don't know that you presented it as advice but i think it's great advice which is if you want to get hired sometimes it's really really helpful to have tangible evidence of your skill you mm -hmm. mentioned with acting it was kind of like you're gonna have to take my word for it i'm a good actor versus hey, look at my portfolio, look at these looks that I've created, look at these characters I've developed. And that's something, you know, honestly, that resonates a lot because Joel and I, you know, when we made the transition from trying to be writers and directors and filmmakers to being game designers, part of what motivated us in doing that is it's so hard to raise money for a film that people don't know is going to turn out versus being able to have a game that people can play and they know they're having fun. So it's just so much easier to market your, 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 your efforts and your results when you have something tangible you can put in front of people and they, they know you can deliver before they ever give you dollar one. I will also say very mm -hmm. smart legwork in terms of being able to make money, make capital, create characters, create storylines. Dungeons and Dragons is a full-blown movie now, <laughs> yeah. you know, yes. based yes. on, entirely based on characters that have already existed and uh you know like the harpers say is like mm -hmm. when you look through the dungeon master's guide that is one of the factions that is there um the the uh actual i'm so sorry let me my i did not mute my i don't know why i did not mute my <laughs> phone and now it just keeps going off so i'm so sorry to so all viewers at home so I, th I thought for a second, and this is uh, something we would recommend. She's using her phone as a webcam, and it's a much better quality than the webcam on her laptop. But yes. uh, I would recommend keep next time you upgrade your phone, keep your old phone if you can, and use th use that like your your old phone camera. Well, uh, and I do actually tip. have an old phone. Um, it's just yeah. not charged. So I thought about I that. And I was like, dang <laughs> it, I should get that. And then I don't even know if it has enough space on it to get the new app mm -hmm. on it and everything. But oh, this course, yeah. is, better, this works yeah. really well. No, um, yeah, I'm saying, yeah, great, just letting yeah. the audience, uh, just a pro tip for the audience, your your last generation phone, it can be, there's a lot of uses you can get out of it. If you set it up for like webcam and things like that. You, 100%. Or like it. as a mic, you know, giving yourself like, like better audio, just using a mic uh, and being mm -hmm. able to just like, you know, do a clap sync or something. Um, I've definitely yes. done that before for different elements. For sure. Um, well, but yeah, I was saying, oh, so well, yeah, yeah Dungeons and Dragons and, and being like what is so great about what y'all are mm -hmm. doing with X Seekers of Fortune is that you are creating characters and elements mm -hmm. where people are allowed to tell their own stories. And the mm -hmm. more personally invested that people feel in a collaborative like a collaborative thing like gameplay the more likely they are that like the future like filmmakers or investors or or designers or whoever are going to want to get involved and go no we need to tell this story like we need to take all of these different elements and weave them together into a story um i don't know this for a fact but i 
very firmly believe one of my favorite authors uh, is Brandon Sanderson. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, he is beyond J.R.R. Tolkien, like beyond, like so far beyond him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love me some Hobbit. I had a Lord of the Rings <laughs> wedding. Like I, I am very into it. It was very formative for me. But I firmly believe that Brandon Sanderson rolls character sheets for his characters. I firmly oh, really? believe that based on the way that everything works out um, I th- and, and the failures, like the fact that mm-hmm. so many plans that they work toward throughout an entire story arc will fail feels to me like a nat one. Like they just like mm-hmm. rolled a nat one, you know, like so he's like, this is what my character wants to do now. He rolled a nat one. What does that mean? For the rest oh, of the yeah. story. Interesting. Um, I and that. and yeah. I I believe I again I have no confirmation of that. I haven't even mm-hmm. looked it up. But reading all of his stories, they're so varied and things happen so wildly that I mm-hmm. don't feel like it could be a formulaic thing where he's just going, mm-hmm. Well, this is what I've seen before and this is what worked out. Um, and I feel like that's the easiest way to keep track of like what are all these people's motivations, what are their abilities. Um, so yeah, I feel like mm-hmm. it's really smart. And the fact that y'all are already filmmakers, I feel like it's going to make you better game makers. I think Just it's definitely helped. I mean, mm-hmm. if you did, you have you seen any of the art for the game? Yes, gorgeous. Okay, gorgeous. Cool. Yeah, gorgeous. gorgeous I was going. Gorgeous. To, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I think I, I do hope that we're doing a great job, and it'd be interesting to hear your take on the characters. What you would take from the from them based on how we present them on the artwork um, down the you know maybe uh, maybe sometime in the near future. Um, but yeah, no, you mentioned D and D. You mentioned Brandon Sanderson, uh, and that's actually a really. <laughs> A really great point. I think more writers or more storytellers should embrace characters failing. It is the best thing yeah. for a story when characters actually fail at what they're doing. But um, tell us a little bit about, you know, you, it seems like D&D might be your jam. Tell us about your experience playing D&D and like the kind of characters you like <laughs> to play and how you go about designing them. I love D&D so much. Um, I've been very intimidated. I'm actually just getting ready to DM my first, uh, like just a one shot, really. Um, I the am... I hate rules. <laughs> I hate them. I'm not good at them. Uh, I don't like learning them. Um, okay. I don't like following them, for sure. Uh, <laughs> I, I am just not a say. fan. I'm not a fan of rules. And it's been something that's been so terrifying to me as a DM. Because I watch people like um, Dimension 20, Brennan Lee Mulligan, and like watching mm-hmm. all of their abilities and just how fast they are. And I get terrified about the idea of, I get like stage fright basically at the idea of sitting down with a group of people who are expecting me to guide them and Mm -hmm. not being an expert in that Mm -hmm. subject really terrifies me and makes me go, oh my God, they're going to be so bored. They're going to like be waiting around. They're going to be like suffering through it. Um, And of course, the more I've learned about it and the more I've kind of dedicated myself to sitting down, reading rules, understanding what gameplay should be like, um, Mm -hmm. the more I felt like I can get I can get the right group of people who understand that I am going to have to stop and look things up. Um, I I don't have to be like my brother, right? Like my brother is such Mm -hmm. a great DM and he was actually um, the first during 2020. Um, we went through our first full campaign of D&D, um, all virtual, of course. Um, and it was a homebrew campaign of his own creation called World War II Mages. 
Mm-hmm. And so we were all humans and we had graduated from basically like a military Hogwarts, like an like an American military Hogwarts. Um, and we were the first group of graduates getting sent to the front lines. And we landed in France and had to travel across to Poland to save um, some Jewish uh, researchers who had a, a kernel of information that could help end the war. Um, mm-hmm. And that was so cool. And us all being humans was a big part of it, too. Like the fact that there was like a limitation to what the party could and couldn't do um, based on the fact that we were all humans. Mm. Um, so I find that very, very um I just loved that whole process. I loved the silliness. I loved being able to, I mean, like my, probably one of the biggest gold stars I've ever gotten was when I said something that made my brother laugh so hard and he went, point of inspiration. Like you, like that is so funny that you get a point of inspiration for it. Um, and mm-hmm. so it's like, reward your I'm going to chase that feeling. Like I'm going <laughs> to chase that feeling. <laughs> so Better I do, heroin. I love D&D. I am just getting into it. And, and I'm getting to the point now where I'm also realizing like, a favorite movie, yeah. I can mm-hmm. get really, really well versed in one one shot and just run it a few times with a few different people who yeah. want to try it. And, and, you know, each time I'm going to get better, each time I'm going to be able to uh, have more knowledge of the mechanics. Like, that's all cumulative. And mm-hmm. I sometimes forget that. Like, I, a lot of the times I feel like when I'm starting on something, I need to be an expert in it before I even try. Um, and I'm, I've begun to realize the flaw in that thinking. So, um, I do love D and D. I love, I love going through and like, as I read books, I'll like on the bottoms of the pages, sometimes I'll like write out what I think that character's stats would be, (laughs) um, you know, based on like the things that I, I've perceived from reading. Um, and I feel like you could do that with people too, right? Like I, like I, it, I feel like it gives you more empathy for the way that people behave when you're like, well, I don't get it. And you go, he's got a really low intelligence modifier, <laughs> you know, like, and you're like, oh, no. OK, I get it. Like, I get it. We all we right. we all know Wait, people like that. Uh, oh, no. We we weren't see his modifier. About no. Uh, <laughs> okay. But yeah, I do. I, I, feel... I love I love the concept of d and I love, um, you know, high fantasy, yeah. grand fantasy. Um, I'm and, you know, it's the realm in which I can most easily imagine, like, flexing all of the skills that I have. Right. Like, you know, fake orc ears and dentures and, and <laughs> contact lenses and blood and, and spells and everything. Like, I can imagine so many elements where I could kind of force my own skill set into that realm and help to kind of like collaborate and tell the story. Okay, awesome. This uh, so, feels like we're having the pre-podcast for five other episodes of the podcast. So yeah, so exactly. That. Okay, so, I really want, I wish I had known about the writing character stats and books. I would have had you share some of that with us. I'm, I don't I don't want you leaving and going and finding books if it takes too long. I literally so have cool. a book sitting on my coffee table right now that I can show you. It's one of my favorite books of all time. Yeah, why don't you grab that? Okay, yeah, yeah, one second. I'll be right back. So my book that I grabbed um, is one of my favorites of all time. It's Pillars of the Earth by Ken Follett. Um, it's it's a meaty boy. It's a meaty boy. Um, uh, similar to uh, Brandon Sanderson in that way. But this is an amazing <laughs> book. Um, it is all about the building of a cathedral and the fact mm-hmm. that you, when you build a cathedral, you know, you see a cathedral and you go, oh my gosh, that thing must have been there for, you know, for thousands of years or whatever. Yeah. And it probably took the people who started building it. The people who started building it probably were not alive by the time it was being finished. Oh, and yeah. so it's the story of 
all of the different elements through the generations, seeing the initial builders, the initial builders pass away, um, the stories of like, you know, the Lord who got jilted by the young, you know, countess and how that shaped their whole lives and everything. Um, but it's it's just an amazing book. You learn so much. Like literally, I feel like I felt a million times smarter after I read this book um, because Best it just talks about like even just architecture, right? Like how architecture mm-hmm. works. Um, and one of the first main characters is Tom Builder. Um, he's a mason. And uh, he – I was just reading through it and I was like, oh, gosh, like Tom – like preparing to be a DM and everything. I was like, Tom is really wise because when he looks mm-hmm. around in a certain city, he's like, I can tell the city is prosperous because everybody needs to buy cooking pots and knives. But not everybody needs to buy embroidered shawls or decorative belt buckles. So mm-hmm. when he's walking around in a town – He's really wise in the sense that his previous experiences let him know before he talks to anybody whether or not the town is prosperous. But his intelligence isn't great because he is a Mason from the 1100s. Like, he can't really write his name. He can't read. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's really limited. But the fact – like, that doesn't mean that he's not smart, right? Like, he's got all this experiential wisdom. And so Mm – and he's really charismatic. So I gave him Uh, uh, strength plus three because he's a Mason. Um, uh, constitution plus one because he's been a mason for so long that mm-hmm. he actually has a bunch of stone dust in his lungs so he can't mm. like run very far uh, without getting winded oh. uh, dexterity I gave him a plus eight to dexterity because he's very good at like carving fine lines at one point mm-hmm. he has to climb up scaffolding to, to save this person so his like agility and acrobatics are really good um, intelligence I gave him a zero you know I was just like he's he's about as smart as the average person wisdom plus two because he's good at observational you know experiential kind of uh, smarts and then charisma plus three because at one point he talks about like when you arrive when the Lord arrives to a job site you want them to be glad that Tom Builder is in charge and Ooh. I take that onto set with me. Like when a producer or an executive producer or the star shows up and I get to show them what we've made, I want them to be so happy that I'm in charge of the department. Um, mm-hmm. Simply because yeah. <laughs> I have the charisma, I'm showing that I'm prepared and that I have a lot of plates spinning, but I'm able to kind of tread and keep my head above water. Um so that's an example. That's an example of how I've been like kind of bringing, that. preparing for D&D in my everyday life. Um, mm-hmm. But it's like a milestone for me. Like running this this one shot is literally like a 35 year long goal of mine. Okay. Um, and gaming is huge. Gaming is huge. It's like the metrics by which we can like measure our life, you know? Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, no. And I think what you said about a one shot, it's like you create you create a really good one shot. You can run it with, you know, four, five, six different parties of people and get different results mm-hmm. each time. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's almost like an escape room. A one shot is kind of like an escape room. Totally. You set up the parameters and then you just drop different people into it and they get to kind of like succeed, fail, you know, break the system. <laughs> you know, yeah. Do it. Like, yeah. Completely Which I'm terrified book, about. You and- oh, yeah. You got to be ready for people to, you know, like. To, oh, to I've already things. been like, you all better be nice to me. I'm like, do <laughs> not like do not like, especially in the first ones, like don't come up in here and be like, I turn into a flaming eagle and I crash through the side of the palace. I'm like, don't do that to me. Just oh. everybody play nice, please. For yeah. this first one, please play nice. Mm-hmm. Well, if you get that up and running, I would love to give it a shot sometime yeah. if you're ever, you know, able able and willing to uh, guide us through it. Um, Thanks, guys. 
<laughs> so uh, kind of like an off the record thing, something that I like based on everything you've said so far, something I would love to see and like in your con, you know, in your content, if you had the extra money for this, taking characters who haven't been adapted for screen and uh, from books that you're reading and then you doing the adaptation and creating the visual language. Is that oh, something you've wow. done before? Do you have designs like if drawn I out have... for characters? If I have one specific goal in my life, oh my God, yeah. I could like literally tear up thinking about this. But if I don't get to be involved in the screen adaptation of any of Brandon Sanderson's things, <laughs> it will be a life not fully lived. Um, uh. I have so many ideas about the way things look. Um, yeah. And and so, yes, absolutely. I, I think very visually when it comes to reading and absorbing characters. Um, I have, and I just love, I, you know, there's a, a comment that I've heard of from a lot of female readers when they, uh, read something like name of the wind, you know, um, mm -hmm. where one of them goes, I don't know what anybody's wearing, you know, like, I don't know what anybody's wearing. I don't want, I don't know what anybody looks like. And Brandon mm -hmm. Sanderson is so good at telling you what people look like in a very specific way. And he's clearly thought about like all the different cultures that are represented, it, like all of these mm -hmm. fictional cultures and painting the picture for you, right? But in a way yeah. that's still very interpretable. Um, so yeah, yeah, I've absolutely thought about that, about being a sort of brand san influencer, like cosplay <laughs> I, influencer. Because I just want to make the case to him that it's like, please, like, please let me be involved in in making this happen in like painting the visual vocabulary of these characters in broader and broader media you know than just like words on the page obviously costumes can be probably pretty expensive to get but i'm sure you know one you could probably adapt one or two characters like very thoroughly and present them online i'm sure that would put your that would be you throwing your hat into the ring for when it happens because this guy's got to have some of his work adapted soon he's i mean oh, i haven't yeah. read any of his things and i know him he's like becoming a household mm -hmm. name for he's sure amazing i cannot wait if i don't it like i've already thought about it and before i was ever like oh my god this is what i'd want to do and like this is such a dream for me um I can't wait to be insufferable <laughs> about th whatever adaptation is made. I cannot wait to be like, well, that's not how it was done in the books and the proper. Like I, I cannot, like I feel like a Brandon Sanderson scholar, like the way that people feel like Tolkien scholars, yeah. where it's like when people, like I listen to his audiobooks a lot. And people uh -huh. are like, well, how do you even listen to them? They're like 60 hours long or something. I'm like, I've listened to every single one of his books, his 60 hour long books, four or five times. Like, oh like I have listened to them a lot and I love them. And they are like a, a comfort item for me. Um, yeah. But definitely aspirational too. Definitely aspirational. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Danny, was there any other questions uh, you wanted? Well, bef I, I have a feeling we'll still be able to have the conversation going into the something random this week. This is going to be a kind of a different something random. But was there anything else on your mind before we start whipping out the makeup and she starts giving me some instructions? Yeah, I, I think that there's just so much to talk about with Anna that we're going to have to have her back on uh, yeah. <laughs> to do another episode. The, the one thing I wanted to just touch on, you know, we talked about this a little bit yesterday. Um, just this idea that you know we all started our, our creative journeys as professionals in, in the late 20s, the 20-aughts, early 2010s, and social media, YouTube, uh, it really wasn't as big as it was as it is now, obviously. And mm -hmm. so, you know, at the beginning of our careers, we were kind of grinding away. You you mentioned working on our short film uh, early on, 
And tonight he comes. <laughs> THC. <laughs> and I and I just kind of wanted to get your perspective on a you know how do you, how do you feel like the development of social media and uh, just technology in general has affected your trajectory as as an artist and a creative professional. I mean, uh, massively. Yeah, massively. Um, I think, you know, it's made the whole process a lot more democratic, I would say, yeah. in terms mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, it's not like back in the golden age of Hollywood. It was very like studio based. Like if you got a contract with a studio, then you were the new it girl of the of whatever. And now with YouTube and TikTok and, and Instagram, it means that you, based on your own appeal and not waiting for the permission of any other higher authority, um, can make your mark on the world and can contribute um, to the, I mean, to sound really pretentious, like the cultural zeitgeist, right? Like literally <laughs> like a, a TikTok meme or like an audio can change mm-hmm. the way that people speak to one another, you know, Absolutely. like, it, it, yeah. And like being able to reference those things. And um and so, and for me in particular, beyond like the kind of broader scope, um, I think for a long time people consider it, and still to this day, many people consider it to be a very frivolous thing, totally ignoring the fact that millions and billions of dollars are spent. Their people are taking funding from their commercial television budgets to broadcast on NBC or CBS and taking that money and breaking it up into a thousand pieces and sending out to a thousand influencers and getting so much more reach than they ever would have if they had spent that money on a television commercial. Um, Mm -hmm. So it does. It has made the whole process much more democratic. Um, Mm -hmm. And then for me personally, in terms of the people I work with, um, my biggest and best accomplishments in the makeup design sphere have been all for Twitch streamers and YouTubers, you know, people who are content creators who are used to doing everything on their own and are so pleased to have somebody else thinking about one element, taking one element off of their plate, mm-hmm. uh, knowing that that person will be able to yield a better result than they ever could have on their own, right? Um, and I think that makes them, one, like a lot more fun to work with. They're not very entitled. Um, mm-hmm. They're not like, well, obviously you're going to do that. It's your job. Um, they're very mm. pleased about what it is that you can contribute. Um, but also they're more willing to take risks. They're more mm. willing to do crazy ideas and have crazy ideas. Um, and, you know, to your point earlier a little bit, Joel, you were saying like, you know, being able to adapt and everything. My thing that I love being able to break, bust out in terms of like a piece of advice is that you don't ever fully say no to them. You go, you know, here's why that's not possible, but here's what is possible, right? Like, Mm -hmm. here's what, like, like, I'm not going to say no. And like, how dare you even ask for me to adapt that way? I'm going to say, okay, here's what we can do to accomplish some version of that, even Mm -hmm. if it's not ideal to, to what we could do if we had more time, more money, more preparation. Um, so I do feel like I've gotten to exercise those muscles a lot. I worked a lot with Rooster Teeth for years and years. Um, I've worked with a bunch of different cosplayers like Meg Turney and Jessica Negri and, um, Daniel DeNicola. Um, and then I work a lot with Markiplier, who's one of the, uh, bigger gaming YouTubers. Um, mm-hmm. and we've created some really beautiful things together just because they had these wild ideas and went, we trust you to come up with how we're going to do this. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So I think mm-hmm. it's been awesome. It's it's made me feel a lot more legitimate in terms of it being a very legitimate career. I was very lucky mm-hmm. in the sense that my parents were like, you go for it, honey. Like do whatever, like whatever makes you happy. They're very, very supportive of me mm-hmm. um, pursuing this as a career. But the further I've gone into it, the more I've realized that like the collaboration and the fact that I got to practice and cut my teeth in a lower stakes situation, like just like, oh, this is just for a funny YouTube video, actually set me up better to be able to adapt and and contribute to these bigger, higher stakes projects. Because I went, oh, you want like, I mean, for Rooster Teeth at one point, they were like, we need a chest burster from aliens (laughs) and we need it to be able to be tiny we need you to puppet it and we need you to make it to where it can have a tiny little hobo rucksack like over its back (laughs) and like walk away you know and it's just like wild stuff like that where i'm like okay like we're gonna figure out how to do that you know but it's funny it's for a youtube video and if it looks campy and terrible then fine it adds to the overall funny vibe Mm -hmm. but if it turns out awesome people are like wow The production value is really good on this, you know? Um, So, yeah, I think it's affected it hugely. I think social media has been huge in terms of my personal trajectory, but then also just the legitimacy of, like, doing makeup is not a frivolous pursuit. People are willing to spend their time and money to look and feel better, especially on camera. So being able to contribute to somebody's public persona as a makeup artist and hairstylist (laughs) is an amazing an amazing asset to have in terms of just like longevity of career. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. There's something um, that you said earlier. Should we do some earlier. makeup? <laughs> we should do some makeup. I did want to say though, uh, Joel, what, just Joel, like, what were you saying? I just wanted to say, uh, there was something that you said that I thought really resonated like with my view of production and it's, you call yourself part of the special effects team in a way. And I think like there's two things that everybody on set should consider themselves part of that. Everybody on set is a storyteller and everybody on set is a special effects person. Like, I think Mm -hmm. lighting is the first special effect of cinema, you know? Mm -hmm. That's like, you know, a good lighting, good makeup. These all tell the story. These are all special effects. You know, even if it's very subtle, it still tells the story. And I think everybody should have that mentality because that will lead to the best production and everybody kind of getting a little piece of the pie and it being everybody's movie, if you will. Um, so yeah. yeah, let us let us let me hear. Yeah, go ahead and start. I might have to do some adjusting. I might have to do some adjusting for my normal setup. Yeah. I've been very. And do you have a little mirror? Today. Like, do you have like a mirror that you can like hold up kind of closer to your face, <sighs> so you don't have to do everything like in the camera? I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I let me think about that. I don't think so. But I could go check my okay, room. Even if you so, if you do have your phone, even using like your selfie cam on your phone could work can work out really well in terms of using a mirror. Amazing. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and uh, and to your point, while you're unwrapping stuff, Joel, um, to your point of like everybody contributes to the story. Uh, you said something earlier about like if you want to be a writer, if you want to be director, like those are kind of like more niche things that you sort of have to work up to. Something a point I want to make about being in film. Being in film is recreating life. Mm. So you know what life needs? Life needs electricians. It needs plumbers. It needs landscapers. It needs people who can paint a house. It needs people who know how to, uh, you know, run a fog machine. It It is every aspect of life is recreated on film set. A film set needs a person who knows how to get good snacks for cheap. 
Yeah. You know, like like there are so many realms that need to be represented on set. It really is like the circus is coming to town, right? Like we are 100%. a self-serving, self-efficient little tiny town that pops up in a location. Great. You got your brush. Um, and we are able to recreate life and make ourselves comfortable in a temporary way and then bust it all down and move. So like they need like skilled drivers. They need people who are good mechanics. Like they need everybody. So like any job is a job that can get you onto a film set, not just like the creative prestigious ones. Um, and like, for example, like I went back to my high school film studies class, which was just like a, a class where we like watched films, uh, were able to break them down. We had to like kind of pretend like we were movie critics and mm -hmm. watch a movie, make a critique about it. Um, and I went back to that class as a college student and I played a job with them or actually, I guess as a, as a full career person at that point. Um, and I played a, a murder mystery game with them called Who Killed the Production? Mm. And it was like, and the concept was like, when we first went around, I said, what do you want to do in the film industry? Nice. Oh, look at that beautiful palette. Look mm. at that beautiful <laughs> palette. Yes, honey. Oh, we love to see it. But the, okay. um, the initially everybody in the class said writer, director, or actor. When I said, what role would you want to mm -hmm. have on set? Yeah. And then I went through and I said, you all are the grip department. You all are the camera department. You all are the actors. You are wardrobe. You are the direction team. And we went through this whole song and dance and we said, okay, who was it that actually killed the production? Which, which department is responsible for things going off the rails, right? And by the end okay. of it, when I asked everybody, what do you want to do? They all went, I want to be a grip. I want to be an electric. I want to be a composer. I want to be a this. Not realizing that there were other options. So yeah, mm -hmm. film is yeah. expansive in terms of what the jobs that are necessary to be on a film set. And you get the right. opportunities to do other things based on who knows that you did a good job on the previous thing. Absolutely. So really fast, Anna. Let's uh, start at the top of the makeup tutorial. We're all unwrapped now. Why don't you walk us through what you had me pick up I'll show it off to the camera and tell me, you know, kind of give them an idea of what they're going to be using these tools for. And then you can start, you know, directing me out step by step. So uh, Danny specifically said that it would maybe be funny to um, show you how to be a, a little spooky emo goth boy. Um, because that is so not necessarily <laughs> who you are. Are you um, sure he didn't so use the term edgelord? He oh. did not use the term edgelord. No, he said it would be really funny to see Joel go a little bit goth. Um, and I, I completely agree. Also, I'm feeling like you would serve in that. So um, we are going to be doing something really basic. Um, it is going to be with a liner, an eyeliner, just a plain black stick eyeliner. Um, I prefer the ones that aren't things that you have to sharpen just because there's a different, you know, not an additional tool. Um, there's also going to be a tiny, teeny little angled liner brush. Let me get my hand up behind there so you can kind of see that. Um, something firm like this, a brush is really important in terms of the density of the fibers that are in it, um, the shortness or the stiffness of them, how tightly they're packed in there. Um, it, that will all depend on uh, what it is able to do or what it is able to do is completely dependent on what the bristles look like. Um, and then I also had you get an eyeshadow palette, uh, just something that had a dark color in it. Um, like it could have been black, it could have been dark brown, it could have been gray. Um, so you got that beautiful elf palette. We'll probably mostly be using the black in there. Um, mine that I have is just like a knockoff of a, a really uh, crazy palette. Um, this is a knockoff of, uh, of the Floribunda palette. So I'll probably mm -hmm. use like that black right there. Okay. Um, and we're going, I'm just going to walk you through just like putting on eyeliner, um, blending it out, and then doing a little bit of um, 
a kind of stylized eyebrow, like something like like a like a very um, yeah, like emo ish kind of eyebrow. Um, so the very first thing I want you to do, I want you to take your wind up pencil um, okay. and I want you to test it on the back of your hand. Oh. So like kind of oh. get a sense, like just draw a line, kind of sketch in a line and just get a sense of how it feels on your skin, how it applies, oh, how no. pigmented it is. Okay. Well, that, I had the mechanical pencil problem of it already uh, breaking, like the tip breaking. So, so start definitely... with it pretty small. Like you don't have to have very much kind of like okay. turtled out of there, right? In order to get uh, like, like it's a pretty small little nub. Um, and that's common. That happens all the time. Um, so kind of getting a sense of like the pressure. Yeah. And then take your brush and you're just going to kind of sketch over that line and just get a sense for how well it blends out, how far it drags. Like I started with like a little, you know, maybe a half inch line and I can drag that out to be a pretty solid, you know, like a pretty long line. Also, if I take my brush right now, I'm taking my like the skinny, like the narrow line part of my brush and I'm using that along the line. If I take that and turn it to where the broad side of the brush is scooching across the line, it's going to give me a totally different effect. It's going to start to blend it out almost more like an eyeshadow, right? So we've gone from having like a tiny little line to kind of like a pool of color, right? Like a whole wide pool of color. Um, and the cool um, thing about... I'm probably gonna have to get my brush skills down. That's sort of where I got. Get get a things. little closer also, to the camera. Winston has never. Nice. Yeah, I would Winston say if anything, never try been more involved in the podcast than he is right now. He is. He's like not... all these tiny little things. Do you want me to be involved? Yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Try even just kind of like working the the liner back and forth just in the same spot sometimes like the heat of your hand will help to kind of like melt the wax that's in the pencil and you'll get a little bit more with what they call color payoff so you'll start to get more and more color payoff um it is also nice more and i'm going to see what i can do with that so just nice. like kind of work it back and forth you said yep exactly kind of in the same spot where it's it's sort of getting heated like heated by the friction almost of you doing that um, and you'll start to see a little bit more color payoff on there. Also, with these uh, liners like this, a lot of the times I kind of use them like concentrated eyeshadows where you can put them down in a specific spot and then blend it out to where you want. Because the whole point of a, a liner like this is that it sets, right? Like it, it eventually it will get to a point where it won't budge, right? Like it's not going to keep moving. So your workability time is an element where like depending on how you read. Yeah, look. Yeah, look at that. That looks great. Yeah, and so, and what we're gonna do with this liner for the most part is we're going to be applying it in a smaller area and then mm -hmm. blending it into a bigger area, right? So you want okay. a kind of concentrated application with the liner itself, and then the brush is gonna kind of do the work in terms of um, getting it kind of blended out, right? So right. where you're going to put this, and I'm gonna bring my camera real close to my face, um, yeah, where you're really gonna fast. be... So where you're putting this, like if you look at my eye straight on, right? And think of my eye like a clock, right? So uh, 12, 3, uh, 6, 9. When I'm applying makeup to look more flattering to my eye shape, I'm almost always going to be applying in the upper outer quadrant, right? So I'm trying to do what they call making it look snatched, right? I'm trying to snatch it up and uh, mm -hmm. kind of tilt my eye up, right? So okay. you're going to really be applying. It's not a big solid line across the whole eye. Where you're really applying is like 
on the outer corner of the eye, like right there. So, and the nice thing about doing a pencil liner is that you don't have to get a precise line. It can be a very sketchy, choppy kind of line because you're going to go back in with your brush and blend it all out, right? So I want you to take your pencil and you're going to play around with the position of your hand, right? Like some people will hold their hand lower and kind of sketch it in like this. Some people will hold their hand up here like they're actually doing a pencil and they'll kind of sketch it on like that. So really like just play around and see where you feel like your hand is comfortable so that you can get the right amount of like pressure on there and then also still be able to like see what you're doing. And you're really focusing on that outer uh, upper part of your lash line, right? So the the part that you're actually defining with it. And then you're going to end up doing a similar thing on the bottom. You're just not going in as far on the bottom. Like on the top, you could go from like outside of your lash line all the way in to like maybe halfway across your lash line. On the lower part, which you don't necessarily need to do yet, um, you're really just going to keep it on like the outer quarter, say, of your lower lash line. Mm-hmm. I mean, hello. Yeah, there we go. Who is she? Who is she? Who invited her? <laughs> All right. And so, so while that's do the still same thing on the other side. So actually, now take your no, take one side first. Yeah, because that eyeliner is going to start setting. So take okay. your brush. And just Alrighty. like you did on your hand, kind of sketch over the shape that you just made to start kind of blending it together and being more, like less choppy, more consistent, right? Nice. You might also get different effects depending on where you choke up on the brush. Like right now you've got your brush ha- held very far out. So you're gonna have a lot more like wiggle and looseness to it. If you choke up on the brush like you would with a pen, you're gonna have a lot of control over like how, about how firm, uh, kind of where the bristles are wiggling, right? So you're gonna just do a nice little light and actually, I would say let's do all one eye first and then all okay. the other eye so we can literally just see like side by side what it's doing. Okay, I'm going to try to, I want it to be more of a, uh, uh, what is it called? Uh, a smiling wing. with your eyes. So Smize. I want it to kind of like, uh, uh, yeah, I want it to kind of like shape up. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah, get it, get it real snatched. That looks great. And actually just keep your eyes open and just look straight downward. Just like look at like, like push. Oh, I mean, that already looks beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Oh my gosh, this is like giving Johnny Depp era crybaby. I'm, there I'm, you go. Yes, love it. Oh, I always think of myself of if John if I was uh, Johnny Depp with a a boo uh, what a beer problem than uh, more of a beer problem than a wine problem. <laughs> well, okay. it's very like I mean, obviously, like the Captain Jack Sparrow of the world really mm-hmm. opened people up to the idea of what guy liner does, you know, in a yeah. modern sense, where we were like, ooh, that. That look good, you know. That look good. Yes, Joel, okay. already conquering it. Yeah, and I Should would say I... go ahead and pick up your eyeliner again, and you're okay, going to do up. the same type of thing. But you're not like where before you were kind of drawing out a line. You're kind of planting it underneath your like that quarter outer um, lower quarter of your lash line, and just kind of wiggling it back and forth, just so you have a, a like a little. A little doot, a little doot up underneath there. Mm. And then is that a, you're going to. Is gonna, that duty enough? 
Yep, that's duty enough. Oh God, that looks great already. Um, and then you're gonna do the same thing. You're just gonna take your little your little brush and you're just gonna kind of extend it where it's gonna uh, blend out. You're not gonna have any hard edges. It's like uh, what they talk about with the Mona Lisa. If you look really closely at the Mona Lisa, there's not a single hard edge. There's not a line on the Mona Lisa. All of it is is gradients and texture and contrast and everything, but it's all very, very soft. That's the goal is to go in and have it be um, sort of like a soft blended out oil painting where you can't really tell where the eyeliner starts or stops. It all just kind of is like smoke going away. Yes. Mm -hmm. And depending on how, like if you went, you could go fully in, right? And start blending that out if you wanted to. That's going to start getting more and more into like the crow elements, right? Yeah. Where it's like you can really kind of go further in. The, You're saying the like more... go further in on the under like right yeah you here. can go further in on that i would say start it, it midway like where it would be like right underneath your pupil and then go and join it up to what you've already got mm -hmm. right and you can sketch either direction that's a big thing with makeup is like you have to think about the fact that when you started writing you sat there and you wrote a a a a a a a yes. over and over again until your hand knew the muscle memory of how to form an a it's the same thing with makeup where it's like you are having to compile a bunch of experiences to the point where you go, okay, this is the effect I wanted, right? Like this is what I wanted it to look like. And I got that by using this particular kind of product in this particular kind of motion, placing it in this particular way and like using this kind of tool to apply it. Um, and that's something that people get really intimidated by. Um, I'll tell people when they're trying to master a new makeup technique, never do it on a day where it matters. Like don't like you don't experiment on Thanksgiving, right? You mm -hmm. like never do it on a day where it matters. Don't do it on the day of your wedding. Don't do it on the day of prom. If anything, do it at night before you are about to wash your face and take your makeup off anyway. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Hello. Yep. And then just give that a little blend. And I would say kind of blend it inward too, where it almost tapers, like kind of follow that bottom edge of your liner. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, Joel. Oh my gosh. Natural. You're a natural. I mean, that's beautiful. And what's so wild is that when you sit back, the way that cameras work, like you were saying, like we live in a very camera centric society, the way cameras work, I cannot tell that you have on eyeliner right now, right? Like on the one eye, it just yeah. looks more defined. That is the only thing. Now, if you're out and about in the world, I would be like, oh, my gosh, that guy has, like, some really nice eyeliner on, you know? But when mm. you're doing it for camera, you that's what we have to do in film is we have to amp everything up to 150% to even get it to read correctly, right? Like, on camera with lighting, et cetera, et cetera. So that's looking pretty damn good. If you were wanting to deepen it, you could go back on and like I like to think of doing like a smoky eye or any kind of liner as sort of like you're making a bullseye, right? Like the first layer that you do is like the biggest ring on the bullseye and okay. every subsequent layer is going to be smaller and nestled inside of that first layer mm. and that's going to increase depth. So if you wanted even more like specific smokiness, you could go in and like apply again in those exact same areas and just be more 
controlled on how you're blending it out. Um, and you're going to get layers and layers and layers of depth where it'll start to get darker. So like even on my eyes right now with like the one side having like a purple liner and the other side having the black, you can see that there's a difference. But even so, like it's not enough to really notice or like be noteworthy um, when we're in this kind of media. Um, okay. So yeah, so you could keep layering from there if you wanted to. The next step um, before you would do the next, the, the other eye would be taking that palette. Okay. And what we're gonna do is you're gonna dip with that same exact brush. You're gonna dip into your darkest color. And again, we're gonna okay. experiment on our hand first. So we're gonna cool. just try and like kind of sketch a little soft line, right? Like you want it to have a bit of a hard edge on it because this is what we're gonna do for our eyebrows. Oh wow, this is this is so much more like, there's like a lot more, um, how should I say, debris? Like, you know, it's like- Yes, yeah, excess. So what like... you do is you do what's called loading your brush. So you get, you kind of like tap into there, get it all loaded, and then you tap off the excess where you kind of hold it above your palette and just flick it a couple of times with your finger. And that's going to oh, knock yeah. off a lot of the excess that would, um, if you just tried to go with all of that loaded on your brush, it would immediately do what's called falling out. So it'd have fallout and you just have a bunch of like black speckles everywhere. Yeah. The same fallout New Vegas. No. No. <laughs> okay. Um, I think I got some fallout. Yeah. There, though. A little bit. Yeah. And then now with no new product on the brush. Just go on and just kind of run it back over those lines a couple of times. And you can do that kind of in like a quick painterly kind of sketchy way. And you'll see that it starts to blend out a little bit, right? Like some of that powder becomes a little less choppy. Um, it becomes a little softer, just like the um, the eyeliner pencil would. Joel, can you and show your gonna, work? I, I'm, I feel like I'm much, I have like a lot more control or a lot, there's a lot more effect with this than the eyeliner uh makeup or the the pencil like the pencil mm -hmm. was you know much more like kind of stubborn this i i definitely see what you mean it's like you could really go for a variety of effects i mean just mm -hmm. uh just just sketching it out just a little bit you can yeah. see the difference yeah wow. and uh it, it's all pros and cons right like the the pencil is also going to tend to wear longer without like a companion product that helps to kind of stick everything on um mm -hmm. it's also really good for like getting that concentrated color without having to worry about fallout um so there are a lot of pros and cons in terms of like the usability versus the um longevity versus the ease of application and so okay. i'll show you what we're going to do here we're going to create a little bit of a of a dramatic eyebrow and the idea is that you are going to trace along the actual existing line the bottom line of your eyebrow so let okay. me get kind of close here actually I, i'm gonna need a mirror you see here <laughs> so i'm just tracing along the bottom line of my eyebrow uh-huh oh i see that like so okay. And then I'm feathering, so I've gone along with like the skinny part mm -hmm. of my brush. I've gone along the brow, and then I'm taking that and feathering it up through the rest of my eyebrow so that it's filled in. So that bottom line is really, really distinct. Um, and I'll do it even mm -hmm. more intense for the camera so that you can see it. Um, I'm sure this is you know that this is kind of how like for men who are like balding this is like what that hairspray does where they puts down yep. like a black under you know underneath their hair so it feels, looks fuller filled in yes not, that's exactly that what it is experience with that 
<laughs> well, and I'm pressing it hard enough where <clears throat> it is the bristles of the brush are making contact with my skin underneath the hair. Mm-hmm. So it's not just me coloring in the hair. I'm also no, coloring the, the skin, skin underneath. underneath it. Yes, yeah. exactly. So that you're you're going to start there. Um, and you can already see on mine how, you know, it, again, the shape doesn't really change on me. But you can definitely tell that one side has more definition than the other. Okay, let me see what I can do here. I believe in you. I might have overloaded my brush. We'll see. I think it looks great already. I'm super into this. Yes, Joel. I'm so proud of you. Also, I feel like your dexterity modifier is pretty good. You've got some good brush control. I've always felt like I have a lot of finesse for a bigger guy. Yeah. Yeah, and it's very similar. Like, again, it's like writing. You know, it's like it's it's the same kind of muscle memory and like finite tool ability. Um, but it's also like being able to understand pressure, right? Like understand like how much or how little pressure you're applying. Um, have the kind of uh, physical intelligence to know what a di- what, how different it will be sliding along versus feathering through, right? Those are very, very different things. Um, and they're small differences that make, oh my God, look at that. There you go. Literally That's... take what's left on your brush and just scooch it over your facial hair on one side. Don't even touch the the, the skin what, underneath. Like yeah, like just kind of like paint it on top of your facial hair just to kind of marry, marry everything together, get them all going to the same party. Mm-hmm. I'm sure if this is how much of a fact you guys can tell me, but hmm. okay, maybe load a little bit on your brush and okay, try okay, and okay. try again. And you could even do back. the same kind of thing in opposite, where the hard line is on the top, and you kind of like <laughs> scoot along the top of your facial hair, and then uh, feather down through the facial hair, and that'll definitely give a, a Captain Jack Sparrow realness. There's there is one aspect of this. Because, hmm, yes, it definitely feels fuller. Uh, because I have like, I don't know, like these little hairs that are like almost like my mustache wants to go ooh, and just droop down a little, but those those mm-hmm. parts don't fill in, or at least they haven't recently. So this can allow me to fill in that like little droop down, which I is the effect I want. That gives it more of a shaggy dog quality versus a cop. Yeah. Quality. Okay. So yeah, and there's so many do... products you can do that mm-hmm. with. So if you wanted to go even more gothy, mm-hmm. a really popular gothy vibe is to take the eyebrow and kind of extend it down the nose, which sounds kind of crazy, but I'm going to show you. So basically I'm I'm painting in like a wedge almost mm. on the edge of my eyebrow. Oh, and like very squaring Dracula. off. Yeah, it's very like and, and really what it's doing is it's giving you nose contour a little mm-hmm. bit like it's making the bridge of your nose on either side be more pronounced and obvious. Um, and so that's the type of thing where you really want to make sure there's not a lot of debris or excess on the brush. You really want to make sure you can tap it out. But you're really just kind of following that line and intensifying it as much as you want to. And it can be as steep or as shallow as you want it to be. But that's a very um, gothy kind of look. And I mean, and it looks so much more intense in person than it does like when I'm looking in the camera. Like in camera, that still looks reasonably normal, like in terms of like what I can see from the tiny little uh, window on OBS. Um, But it is or on Discord. But it's... um, 
it has an effect, right? Like it all kind of shapes the face, which is exactly what um, people like drag performers do, right? Like they are able to take their given bone structure and entirely change it, or at least the way that people perceive it, simply by the way that they apply highlight and shadow and definition to it, right? So the difference between a blended area of color and a distinct line of color um, are really the world in which they play, where they can have this extremely transformative look, but we can take all of those same principles and dumb them down and, you know, take the saturation and contrast bar and take it all the way down, you know, all the way to the bottom um, and have, oh, Joel, oh my God. And have these beautiful different variations of effects, right? Oh no, another freeze. Yeah, give us I a, give us a one side, other side. Okay, there we go. Give us, uh, hey, Joel, give us a one side, other side comparison. Okay, um, let's see. So here's, whoops, there we go. Uh, yep, oh, yep, we go. yep, mm-hmm. yep. Mm-hmm. Love mm-hmm. it. Plain Joel. Hello. Goth Joel. Wow. Prince of Darkness. <laughs> he is the Prince of Darkness. Also very, like, this is going where's very, my like, er, early. Yeah. yeah, where's my steak? <laughs> very, like, early 2000s, like, heart, like, high school heartthrob kind of vibe. Yeah. Look at you. And again, it's so yeah. wild because when I'm looking yeah. at the small version, it, this could still be a normal person how they normally look, right? Like it's not mm-hmm. it's not a crazy amount, but it's so different once from one side to the other. And specifically, the eye that is made up looks physically bigger than the other eye. Like when yeah. we're looking at it, the it's because you have expanded the definition of what is the edge of your eye, right? So when you have no makeup on, the edge of your eye is just where your eyelids are, right? Mm-hmm. When you do have makeup on, it's where the end of the makeup is. Oh, excuse me. That's all right. Oh, God, it got away. I hate that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> excuse me. Um, okay. Yeah, well, so it's all about if, just changing definition. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, if this is basically what I could do to one side, I'm going to start working on the other side and see if I yeah. can kind of match it. And we could just absolutely if you if you have time for sure. Um, though, Danny, since I might be a little, you know. Yeah, you stay this, focused on might, that. Yeah. Yeah. You might want to take over the show and potentially when it's time to wrap up, you, if you can take care of the finals. Okay. 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 So just a reminder, it's starting with the upper eye. Upper. You know, yeah. Upper, upper outer and quadrant. Lower, mm-hmm. And then, and then I do that. And then I can do the yep. rest there. Okay. So Exactamundo. Yeah. Upper and then blend it out with the brush and then lower and then blend that out with the brush and then use the brush with the powder shadow to do your brows and then to uh, finesse the stash. Also, this is making me appreciate. I've always wondered why the iPhone camera always like reverses and I'm like kind of annoyed by it. But now I understand because women, they probably made it for women to do mirror stuff. Yep. Yep. Okay. It's very useful. Very, very cool. Very useful. Yeah. Well, I know that you, you have a hard out here that we're coming up on. Um, is yeah, I can say for like another 510. Okay, perfect. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to cover? I'm really interested in, in your husband's drag journey. You want to tell us a little bit about how he got into that and, and wh- where he performs and how often people are... Uh, 
Mm-hmm. He is what we call a look queen. So mm-hmm. uh, it's all about doing, uh, turning really cool looks, doing photo shoots, posting on Instagram. Uh, his Instagram is at Sarah Vignette. It's underscore S-A-R-A-V-I-G-N-E-T-T-E underscore. Um, and so the idea is that the uh, it's serving it. Like he's like serving it, right? But it's Sarah mm-hmm. Vignette. Um, I love that. And Uh, It was a lot. I mean, obviously, like me doing makeup, um, even when I was learning to do makeup up in Vancouver, um, there were times where I really wanted to practice things. And he was like, well, you can practice whatever on me. Like, I don't care. Um, And so we would turn him into Darth Maul and, you know, all these crazy things. But I'd also practice beauty makeup and hair, um, hair styling. I did these big, long dread extensions on him several times. Um, And so he's always been really into costuming and different looks and taking on characters. Um, And we really a big part of it was obviously RuPaul's Drag Race. That's like the great awakening for so many people of going like those performers feel so good. You can tell they feel so good up on stage. I want to feel like that, too. Mm -hmm. Um, And thankfully, we've got a really active, very welcoming drag community in Austin. Um, And so really, we mostly just go out like we'll we'll get dressed up. We'll go out. We'll go to drag brunches. Um, I am. I desperately want him to perform. Like in 2024, I'm like, I want you up on stage, lip syncing the house down, like turning to look, serving. Um, And he's like, I just don't I need to learn how to dance. Like he's like very like like aware of being like a good poser and good model. But he's like, I need like performance elements right um so yeah right now it's mostly instagram i do very much hope this year to get him in front of an audience and actually like performing and lip syncing um we did do one of our favorite looks let me show you uh this is a modern day medusa oh my goodness that's beautiful i made um and we did a bunch of really great photo shoots with um but it was all just a green wig these are different hair rollers flexible hair rollers and then some of them are actually braided out of the hair of that like that's all just hair and braiding and teasing and put rhinestones on for all of the eyes and stuff um and uh so yeah i love it it's such like a big again like sort of a low stakes way to do really crazy looks um that don't have to be replicated perfectly over and over again uh which is what you would have to do this might be a good time for me to come in and say uh if i if a person who's applying makeup might feel as though they apply too much and want to bring it back a little is that where the makeup wipes come in and absolutely and one of the things that you want to be aware of with the wipes is it's not like a baby wipe or like you're wiping like ketchup off of a counter. You want okay. to be aware of um, like, let me show you. I don't have a wipe in here, but like so like a towel. So when I use my wipe, I'm going to hold it really tight along my okay. finger and I'm just using like the edge to clean it up. And that's a very valid way of applying makeup. Like people will kind of do this like. Um, like spray and pray kind of uh, version Mm -hmm. of makeup where it's you apply a lot and then you shape it with your remover. And that's Mm. super, super common. So you can literally take that and just like scoot it along, like in a straight line sort of along where you've applied and that's going to clean up and it's going to snatch. Like you're going to see that it'll give you like a really, really snatched look. There you go. Yes. Yeah, that's looking way better. Yes, Henny. I think that eye even looks better than the first one. Yeah, well, it's, definitely, more, like, it's definitely more, in, more like, uh, pigmented. I in, yeah, I put in, put down more. All right, so I think that's the eye, and now I need to do the brow. 
the brow. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. cool. Let me work Do you know who Maddie Morphosis is, Anna? Love Maddie Morphosis. Yes. I know he's 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 great. That's uh, cool that there that there's actually some heterosexual drag queens popping up, and he's super funny. Have you watched uh, the Give It to Me Straight web series? No, I haven't. Oh yeah, he's very funny. So I would. Okay, is it that, is that all on YouTube? Yeah. Okay, yeah, love. Yeah, I will yeah. definitely watch. Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I just feel so strongly that everybody should have access to feeling great, like mm-hmm. no matter their gender and no matter mm-hmm. what that expression is. Um, and makeup is such a huge part of that that has been k- taken from half of the population for like really not that long, like a hundred years, maybe a hundred, two hundred years. Like it's not been that people wore all sorts of people wore makeup for all sorts of reasons throughout history forever, right? And for some reason it's been given this like branding of like a frivolous, unnecessary thing. And I just could not disagree more. Um, Yeah, so yeah, my husband has this beautiful drag journey. Um, The thing actually that I'm gonna be going and doing as I teach, um, I'm the uh, professor of makeup design at St. Edwards. Oh wow, Um, wow. And so I've uh, got a class, a makeup design class that I teach where we talk, I mean, like, obviously about actual applications of makeup, but like one of my lectures I gave was called the anthropology of appearance. So it's oh, like, that's cool. what are, it's, it is one of my favorite things that I've ever worked on. I definitely want to make like a series or a digital course or something like that for it. Cause it's just talking about like portraiture, how people are portrayed in media throughout history and what it is that we can discern about a specific culture's beauty standards based on the portraiture that they left behind. So everything mm-hmm. from sculptures, wooden, you know, stone or wooden sculptures, uh, Greek and Roman sculptures, um, you know, uh, the, the invention of the printing press, the invention of, uh, you know, um, paint lacquer even like the ability to paint a painting and lacquer it so that it could go to other places and be displayed and oh, people wow. in you know Romania could see what people in France looked like you know like that those different leaps forward in technology and being able to share um design influences mm-hmm. are so huge in shaping what we all perceive to be as like beauty and like a beauty standard of the day um, so actually today we're going to be going and talking about bones. I've got to give a lecture about facial structure, facial anatomy, um, and how most of the things that we're doing when we are shaping a face, like, like drag is a great, uh, example of it is we are using highlight and shadow to transform what is already naturally there, but it's all based on what is there, right? Like we have to know what is there, where your cheekbone is, where the hollow of your eye is in order to be able to shape it and change it to be perceived differently. I love Um, that. So I'm doing that. I've got also um, a movie coming out that I worked on with Dennis Quaid and Jay Hernandez. Um, It's a feel-good sports movie uh, called The Long Game. It's about a group of um, Mexican-American golfers in the 1950s. Um, Really, really good. Beautiful movie. Won the Audience Choice Awards at South By when it premiered last year. Um, So that's coming out uh, on April 12th uh, nationwide in theaters. Um, And then my other big thing that I hopefully is coming out this year, we still don't have official word on it, is uh, the YouTuber Markiplier, Mark Fishbach, his game called Iron Lung or his movie called Iron Lung based on a video game Mm -hmm. uh, of the same name. Um, And it was amazing. The thing that I can say that I'm allowed to say that he has already said 
is that we believe we have the record for the most gallons of blood ever used <laughs> on a movie. What? <laughs> In wait, the wait, wait. game, the very I'm beginning just... of the game, it is set up uh -huh. that you are on an alien moon in an ocean of blood. Oh my goodness. Oh, wow. So literally, I was going to say, you, you, you got to compete the against blood. The Shining. You're, we're talking oh, more literally, blood than The Shining. The, the Shining is my favorite movie of all time. And when mm -hmm. I read the script, I started crying because I was like <laughs> so excited to have our Shining moment, to have like our literal Shining moment. And when we were sourcing the blood, they had to be like, so is the actor going in the blood? And I'm like, oh, girl, he's swimming in it. Like he like lit. We need so much blood, like so much blood. So that trailer is up on YouTube. Uh, just oh. type in Iron Lung trailer and that'll come up. Um, and that's TBD on when that will be released. But it oh, is man. very exciting. And I got to do some really, really fun stuff for it. How much blood did you end up using? I don't know if I'm allowed to say. Okay, well, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll have you back after it comes out. It's, we'll just say the word thousands. Oh my God. I, I'm not going to specify the quadruple unit of measurement. Digits. Thousands. Yeah. Wow. Quadruple digits wow. of blood. Wow. Um, very cool. It was very exciting. That was a very, the day the blood got delivered, it was like we were all like kids in a candy store. We were just like, <laughs> like, oh like semi trucks full of blood, like showing up. Yeah. It was amazing. Oh um, my so vampires it, it was very cool. Uh, we filmed it out at Troublemaker Studios, Robert Rodriguez's oh, studio, nice. um, and we just got to kind of take over that space for three months. And like it was like we set up an old West town, like we like literally just moved in, set up this old West town, and we just had a single location crazy shoot for like three months. So, yeah. And who directed that one? Mark, Mark the uh, oh, Matt, Mark Fishbach. Yeah, he oh, wrote he it, directed it, executive produced it. Um, he's editing it like he it, it, that's what I'm saying with that YouTuber mentality of like, I am prepared to do it myself and I want to see it through from concept to credits. And that's how I feel about my makeup, right? Like I want I don't want to be a piece of the makeup. I want to be involved in all of it. You know, that's where my passion lays. Well, you know that feeling well. We uh, yeah. are used to wearing a lot of hats, and it's the only way yep. we like to do it. So, I mean, who would go through life wearing one hat? Yeah. That sounds so boring. You have to have multiple hats, you know? You got to. You got to have multiple yeah. hats. Um, well, Joel, we are. You are just killing it. Yeah, you're looking. You're looking. <laughs> I think I might have gone a little far, but I mean, you know, but that's the thing. You can you can either like maximize or minimize mm -hmm. the uh, the situation. And let me see if I can Well, get and it. as you go to remove, have fun with the removal. Like literally go in and try to change the shape of it based on how you're removing. Change the shape of your eyebrow, narrow it out. Like you can have so many different variables to getting your final look. And again, with the whole like um, muscle memory element, going in now that you have had this experience, the mm -hmm. next time that you want to do this, you are going to have some information about like, mm -hmm. I know that this pencil is harder to use than my powder, right? Like you can have all of these different elements that are going to change up what your finished result is. You're really I mean, giving, that looks great. Yeah, you're giving raccoon cultists. So I'm going to request that you wear this for our second podcast I this afternoon. I was exactly going to suggest that I just keep this on for the next episode. It'll yeah. Which I love it. I love that. The no explanation. No explanation. 
at the the next episode. If if I remember correctly, <laughs> we're going to be releasing the one we're recording later today. Uh, first, first, so there'll be no explanation. And hilarious. Let's just see I... how long we can go into that episode without referencing it or explaining. Or yeah, without yeah. somebody being like, "Are you? Are you? <laughs> like, are you? <laughs> I'll just completely you? act like it's normal. Like this is just yeah, normal. yeah. This is my look. This is who I am. This is who I've always been. Deal okay. with it." Yeah. yeah, my my Thank my theory is we'll so get called out. We'll get called out at the beginning of the episode. My theory before we even start recording. Um, so literally, but stay further back at first. Like stay further back, stay further away, and literally, I bet it's gonna be like, wow, the contrast is like really increased on the webcam today. Like you look so broody and like intense. <laughs> Should I read some poetry to you? Yeah. yeah. Also, what's okay. crazy about eyebrows and defining eyebrows is that mm -hmm. it it highlights your emotions, right? Like you can like the the eyebrows are the exclamation point of the face, right? So like you can tell so much more what people are doing and how they are feeling based on their eyebrows. And when your eyebrows are more defined, like your emotions are more defined. Can we get a Kubrick no. gaze? Like that. Yeah, a little lower, a little lower. Yeah, 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 lower that chin. There yeah, we go. There, yeah, there you go. That's it. <laughs> Swarthy. I was going to say, now I'm starting to think with, with what you had to say about emotions, I'm almost starting to think that maybe women started applying uh, makeup to highlight, you know, how they were feeling to men, you know, because us men were pretty uh, ob obnoxiously dumb about that sort of thing. So maybe they were just like, okay, if I really darken my eyebrows, that's, he's going to uh -huh. know how angry I am with him. Well, it's the same can't thing, miss like, if cue. you cover your eyebrows. Like, if mm. you just, like, hold your fingers up over your eyebrows, like, the amount of alienness mm -hmm. that automatically happens because you don't have, like, if somebody has shaven eyebrows, it's impossible to tell. Like, I'm, oh, yeah. that's me being angry, right? That's mm -hmm. me being happy. Angry, very happy. Like, it's, yeah, it's very, very extraterrestrial, and you do, don't really, you can't really tell how somebody is feeling because their main indicators are gone, you know? Yeah. Well, this has been quite enlightening, and I can't wait to play around with this and try to get um, uh, a more subtle, like, you know, just who's that guy look going, you know, so guy? I can go out and about and just like, you know, just get, you know, just a little bit sharper features. But no, this, uh, yeah. this more extreme. What did you say? Goth boy? What, the, yeah. the, specifically this emo, part. This goth. part. Yeah, the emo part where we brought the eyebrow down all the way to the nose ridge, which has a great look. It kind of gives me uh, animalistic vibes. Like I feel like if I wanted totally. to dress as the as the beast, that would be like the key indicator of the makeup is to or like a werewolf or something. I would want to yeah. do that. Um, well, and trying I it out with like those lighter colors you've got in there too, like doing a little, doing a brown, doing just the brown eyeshadow. Don't do even use the eyeliner at all. Um, try oh, doing yeah. the exact same shapes in just brown yeah. um, and see Remember, how that. Remember, fellas, that was just one of these mini that was colors. Just one. Yeah, and yeah. that's a product tie-in with the the Will Ferrell movie Elf, correct? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is that how that? <laughs> well, no, no. It stands for thinking... eyes, lips, face. E oh, okay. okay. That's great. Okay, yeah. um, but I do think we're running up against the, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the the time limit here. So we should probably be seeing Anna off. I think the first and foremost Anna, that Anna always, off. Anna, Anna, seeing Anna off. Thank you, Danny. Uh, I think first and foremost, I usually like, uh, we didn't do it earlier, but Danny, what were some key takeaways from Anna's uh, conversation that you, uh, and what are some things you'd like to have her back on the show to talk more about? 
Oh man, so much to talk about. I had one question I wanted to ask, which I'm, you know, we, we ran out of time for, but I think there's a lot to dive into with just the kind of characters you can inhabit and how makeup can help you like better define the different aspects of your personality. So I'd love to talk to her more about that in the future, but I, I, I touched on it earlier. I'm going to just reiterate it because I do think it's super powerful. When you're trying to uh, make it in the world, oftentimes it's helpful to actually be able to make something to show people. So try to find a way to have tangible evidence that you are capable of doing what you say you're capable of. And it's just going to be that much easier to convince other people to support you, especially if you need financial support to do your endeavors. So highly, highly recommend putting together a, a tangible portfolio or creating a proof of concept that people can interact with. Yeah. Yeah. I would say my big takeaway is if you want to do something professionally, if you want to be respected, be what what was the tom builder be be tom, tom builder. builder be yeah be, you want them to be glad that tom builder is in charge you want them yes. to be glad that you're in charge yes exactly that's that the, the, you know that goes all the way back like forever and ever like be a person that p people are happy to see in your position uh, a great, that's um, going to get you pretty far i think that a great a great quote comes to mind i think that's perfect mm -hmm. for this episode it comes from a fellow game designer Seppi, Joel, do you know oh, what it Seppi. is? Oh, Seppi Senpai. Yep. What is it? Mm -hmm. What's the quote? Oh, fashion is power? Fashion is power. There fashion we go. Fashion is yes. power. Yeah, you uh, ingrained that thoroughly. I can't it. wait to, we need to have Seppi on the, on the show. I can't wait to talk to him again. Yeah, and then Anna added, beauty is effort. Beauty, beauty is effort. Beauty is effort. Yeah. And I'm glad I uh, took the effort And when you're thinking about Mm -hmm. doing a hard thing. There's a quote that I love from a project I worked on with Mark, uh, In Space with Markiplier on YouTube. It's a choose your own okay. adventure. And oh. it is when thinking in infinites, unlikely, what was it? No, it's when thinking in infinites, impossible is just likely waiting for its turn. Yep. <laughs> so oh. when you are thinking in endless possibilities, Everything is eventually likely. Yeah. I've yeah. never heard it articulated and, so well. I, I think I've had a thought similar to that, but I've never heard it put so succinctly. I'm going to yeah. steal that. Yeah. You hear yeah. that, Mark? Improbable I'm coming, I'm coming for all of start. your things, Mark. I'm coming Do for it. All and y'all better watch. Like, In Space with Markiplier is one of the coolest pieces of media. It is a. It is like three movies worth of content. We filmed like 300 individual scenes, and they're all branching arcs of different storylines that go different ways. It's like a two-parter, yeah. too. There's In Space Will with loves Markiplier that. 1. Space. It's he, amazing. It's so, so good. It. And I got to make a million different characters. There's aliens. There's zombies. <laughs> there's everything in it. It's Danny. It, this has everything. Oh my god! Uh, the the I you know we talked about doing some reaction content in the past. Uh, a live play of us watching this and reacting and choosing our adventure. You know that could be a that could People be an episode would love or something right there. But we can sit here and talk for hours. We are going to talk for hours more with Anna. This is you have been one of the best guests that we've had on the show. Oh I'm gosh. so excited to talk to you more, and I really want for us to roll up characters and play your one shot when you're ready to show it off you yes. have a platform to play it it for the people and trust me you don't Thank have to you. worry you got himbo paladin coming for sure 
to the to the one shot. <laughs> so uh, and Danny, um, I'm, I don't know. Well, Danny will figure something out. Um, day of probably. All right. I love it. Oh, thank y'all so much. Thank you so, so much. This is so fun. You made this feel very, like, accomplishable and doable and unintimidating. I really appreciate it because it has been very, very intimidating to think about getting through all this tech and everything. So I really, really appreciate you guys. I'm so impressed. Really good job. You're set up now, so you're going to be able to do this like other people's podcasts. Uh, you know, you, oh you now will have your feet wet. You're going to be able to do it. I think you will. Yeah. I'm. We're going to be seeing you everywhere uh, soon enough. All right. Um, well, really quick, let Thank me just you. do the classic uh, stuff you have to say if you're a podcast on YouTube. And that is, please, if you've enjoyed this conversation, subscribe to our channel. We love having fun people on we have some fun episodes if you wanted to see a a pro level magic player making his way to the world tour or the pro tour i should say you can go back and watch that episode and we have plenty more where that came from if you're into games if you're into design if you're into aesthetics please choose the megamoth studio super secret show by first liking us all right you already did that you got the confetti now just a little bit over subscribe you got it but what you want, you want hot and fresh podcast. You don't want cold podcast. You want hot and fresh. So you're going to ring that bell. Ring it right now because then ring a ding ding. You'll get it when it's right out of the oven. Right when Will's done editing and uploading, you're going to get the notification so you can watch it then and there. And we really, really appreciate that. If you're not a YouTube podcast listener, I don't know where you're listening to right now, but you can go to Apple Podcasts. You can go to Pocket Cast. You can go to Spotify. Megamoth Studios Super Secret Show. If you have friends who don't like using their eyes but love using their ears, you can find us there. Preach, and brother, preach. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying to up my mic skills. I have. I have some plans in the near future, and I want to be able to really own the microphone. Okay, I think that's all I have to say on that. We already did something random, Danny. Uh, uh, well, on a one last question, just so everybody can be sure that they they've heard it you know they they hear it again where do you want to be found where can people find all of your wonderful things i wish to be unknown like a fairy um no uh i'm anna the artiste uh artist with an e at the end because i'm not just an artist i'm an artiste um so i'm anna the artiste on instagram on tiktok um i do have a youtube channel i have uploaded almost nothing to it but i hope to now that i know that obs is a possibility i do hope to Excellent. Yeah. So right. Instagram, so Instagram is the main one. Are you on TikTok? Instagram's the main one so far. I mm-hmm. do have a lot on TikTok. I'm just not very consistent on there. Consistency okay. is just not my bag, baby. Like I'm just like it's not what I'm into. <laughs> um, but I'm going You're to try to no get rules. better at it. I'm going to try to form some <laughs> habits. Okay. Anyways, okay, that is awesome, Anna. Danny, do you have anything? Any parting words for the show? No, no. I think a lot has been said, and a yeah. lot has been applied to your face. And I am yes. super appreciative of Anna coming to show us how to uh, level up Joel's face. This has uh, been amazing to watch. Yeah, yes. the Spotify and Apple podcast listeners will have a real interesting 20 minutes or so there. <laughs> where There's just a lot of like visual words happening and not a whole lot of like understanding. That's why they need oh. to come to the YouTube. That's why they need yes. to come to YouTube. This is a YouTube episode. We are a YouTube podcast. This is a YouTube episode. You. Do yourself a favor and find us on YouTube. But if you refuse to YouTube a podcast, I'm sure we're going to post pictures of the process on our Instagram at Megamoth Studios 
on Instagram. You will probably see and screenshots and selfies that I'm going to take right after this episode's done so you can see what I, you know, the beautiful snatching of my face. And there should be stills on America's Most Wanted as well. So. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> All right, Danny, that's enough from you. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank y'all so much. Thank, I really appreciate you, it. Thank you, Danny. Um, so this has been Anna. This has been Danny. I have been Joel reminding you that you must start somewhere. So why not here? Thanks for watching. The music by James Holden. Produced and edited by William Wymore. Amazing. Amazing, y'all. Oh, my God. Y'all are great.